You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's D-A-R-K P-O-D at checkout and you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store at 50% off and then you're going to get those 10 free gifts absolutely free as part of your offer. This is such a great deal and this is just for you Disability After Dark listeners and I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonapussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make 
your own clone willy or clone pussy how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone a willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a big bright light on disability stories. I'm your delectable host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, everybody. Hello! Just a fair warning for today. This show is going to be a little bit different than what we're usually used to hearing. We're going to talk about things that are not what we usually would talk about, but this show is one that aims to shine a bright light on things that we don't talk about around disability, things we don't discuss. And I felt like this episode was important to do, so let me tell you why this one will be different and why I want to do it this way. One of the things outside of disability that I'm, I love to, to, to listen to and talk about and think about is true crime. I love true crime. It's one of my favorite genres of anything. I, I like to just listen to a bunch of podcasts about that. I listen to a bunch of shows about that. I, I watch every true crime documentary that's ever out there. I watch it all the time. And I felt like it was time to shine a bright light on crimes against disabled people. Because it happens all the time, and we don't talk about this. And it's not something we really hear a lot about in the mainstream media, or we really talk about, but it happens to disabled people all the time. And I wanted to do an episode where I bring that to light. Because I think it's important that we explore why this happens to disabled people, how this happens to disabled people, and how the systems around us as disabled people are not there to support us and can can lead us to be victims of crime. And I want to just talk about that today. So this episode is going to be a really special one, and let me tell you why. So to talk about this episode today, which I'm calling Ableism Crimes Part 2, I could not do this without bringing on my favorite true crime podcast hosts. My absolute favorite, without question. Today, I will be joined by my friends, Lucy Fitzgerald, Kenyon Lang, and Amanda Jacobson from the Wine and Crime Podcast. Yeah! I'm so excited that they're here. They're, it was such 
I wouldn't say it was a fun episode because we talk about a lot of stuff and there's a lot of content warnings around violence and disability and crime and disability. And there we there's a lot of stuff that was uncomfortable to talk about in this episode, for sure. It certainly wasn't full of laughs. But I loved being able to do this with them and, and talk, about, talk through a case with them and discuss ableism with them in terms of true crime. We did this once on their show. I was a guest on their show, I think, back in the summer of 2018. And so I just, I love having them on the show. I had them on the, on the show once on my show back in, like, I think 2019. I had them as guests. But I just fell in love with them. We're friends. We text all the time. They're really great people. And I wanted to bring them on to explore this with me. And so let me tell you about the case that we're going to talk about today on Ableism Crimes Part 2. Again, fair warning, before I get into the details of this case, please remember that there are there are a lot of content warnings around violence against disabled people in, in this episode. And if you'd rather not listen to that, I fully understand and you can skip this one and we'll see you on the next episode. But I felt it was important to do this, so fair warning, content warning, there's discussions of ableism, death, disability in this episode, so fair warning. The case we're going to look at today with the Wine and Crime Gals was that of Gemma Hader, who was 27 at the time of her death, was severely beaten and tortured by her mates, which we'll get into, and she was suspected to be on the autism spectrum. She was never formally diagnosed with any other learning disabilities, but her family suspected she had one. Um, she was... It was it's a horrible thing that happened to her, and we'll we'll get into the specifics of that. But we also talk in the episode about how she was murdered by her friends in in the UK where she was murdered. It was said that she she was a victim of mate crime, which the girls and I talk about more. We explain that it isn't mate crime; it's just straight up ableism. Um, so we get into the specifics of the crime, but. This is the case of Gemma Hader and how she was murdered by people that she thought were her friends and how she also lived with undiagnosed learning disabilities and how the system failed her. So there's a lot to unpack here. The Wine and Crime Girls and I do just that. So buckle up. This is a different episode, a bit of a darker episode on Disability After Dark, but I, I felt we needed to shine a bright light on this stuff. So without further ado... Let me reintroduce you to my friends, the Wine and Crime Gals, for, for Ableism Crimes Part 2, right now on Disability After Dark. Yay. The ladies of Wine and Crime, hello! 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 How oh are my you? goodness! <laughs> it's, a, it's a homecoming. It is! And we've been that, trying to do this for months, and I'm so happy that it's We've been trying happening. to do this for like a year, basically, yeah. almost. <laughs> All 12 God. of the last months we've been trying to do this. <laughs> I think we started like pre-COVID. I think we oh, did. Yeah, we did. Yes, because the first time we were like, oh, we can't do those dates. We were getting ready to go on tour. Oh, and God. Then, LOL. I think I'm And I'm then I was cry. moving. And yep. then we both bought houses. And yep. then Lucy redid her kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> How many more life. nightmare projects do we want to take on? Adulting is hard. It's the worst. I don't recommend it. So for those of you listening who are like, who are these people? And why are they, 
on Andrew's show, you must know that one of the things that I am equally obsessed with, much like I am with disability, I also love true crime. It's my favorite yeah. thing. And a couple of years ago when I was in the hospital, I stumbled on this little show called the, the Woman Crime Podcast and fell in love with these ladies <laughs> and was like, how do I become their best friends? And then it happened. It turns out all you have to do is say, hey, what's up? Want to be best friends? Yeah, just tweet at us. We're really open to you just sliding into our DMs. And so the rest is history. Pretty sure that's literally what I did too. I was like, hi, I love your show. I don't know if that matters, but can we be friends? And then I had them on my show once to do disability. And then I came on their show to do ableism crimes part one. And now today... We're going to do Ableism Crimes Part 2. Yes. Yeah. We're so, so excited. So just a big blanket trigger warning that this this episode will deviate from our discussions of sexuality and disability and is going to go into some pretty heavy stuff around ableism crimes against disabled people. That's pretty dark. It's really yeah, dark. It's really, it's, really dark. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. It's not super happy. So I totally respect if you want to skip this one totally Uh get it it's totally okay but i felt like because the tagline of this show is shining a bright light on disability stories and things we don't talk about that it was important that we shine a big bright light on ableism crimes so here we are yeah it's definitely a taboo topic so Mm -hmm. yeah we're we're talking about this case not for any kind of entertainment no, but but really, like you said, Andrew, trying to shine a light on what happened to this. It's a massive, and... massive injustice on so yeah. many levels. So yeah, yeah, it... and and vulnerable adult adults, I think, so often get neglected ignored. and ignored. Yeah, when the and and these stories, you don't hear about them as much, but the prevalence of these types of crimes is. Shocking! Just, it's yes. like it's like I couldn't believe the numbers. Some of the numbers I found unbelievable. I like, wow! I mean, I, we know it happens, and I mean, we know from when I was on your show last year that it totally happens. Mm-hmm. But to hear it again was like, how is this still happening? Yeah. So I felt I wanted to do this show for two reasons. I wanted to bring my friends back on because I was like, I just love talking with them. I want to do one, and also because I wanted to shine a light on this stuff and have have a. Not a, a light conversation, obviously, because we don't we don't make light of what's happening, but uh, but to do it in the vein like they like they do on wine and crime. So mm-hmm. that's that's what we're gonna do today. Well, we're honored to be part of it. So thank yeah. you. Yes, yeah, thank, thank you. you. Of course. Um, so I kind of said who you were, but can, just for fun, tell the people who you are. Um, I'm Kenyon. I'm Lucy. I'm Amanda. <laughs> and we're we're the three parts of as andrew said the wine and crime gals we have a true crime comedy podcast and we've been doing it for about four years now and it's a weird job to be a podcaster you guys are (laughs) you guys are pretty big though i gotta say like you i remember when you were on like what were you on like 60 minutes oh CBS, I, I think. No, we did. Yeah, we that's did, right. We did a spot on CBS, and then I got to be a talking head on um, in ice cold blood with ice tea. Oh, yeah, with ice <laughs> oh, yeah tea. I forgot about the ice tea thing. <laughs> I did not get to meet Ice Tea. He filmed yeah. in New York. I filmed in LA. Rip <laughs> off. I'm still. I'm still trying to connect with them on Twitter. Not going well. <laughs> <laughs> ice Tea, get at me. 
I want to talk to I don't to feel like you and Ice would be, I don't feel like you guys are in the same universe. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Not even. I think close. you're on different Twitters. Uh, yeah. Very different Twitters. <laughs> yeah. So That's I guess us. we can, I don't have any, we don't, on your show, you do stuff with wine. I don't yes. have any wine today. I don't have any cool wine wrecks. I don't have any wine today either. I am drinking caffeinated sparkling water because I am 33. Yep. And I have a Coca-Cola. <laughs> I have a regular I'm a human water being. Because <laughs> I, have... I took pain meds for my broken toe this morning. Oh, pain meds. <laughs> well, pain meds are good. They are good. If you're disabled and you're listening, take your meds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not disabled and you're listening, take your meds. Take They're your meds. Um, <laughs> um, but I guess there's no fun, sexy way to segue into this. Nope. I think we just got to jump right in. Should we just yeah. belly flop unsexily yeah. into this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just it's, picture it's... me swan diving off of a pondu- pontoon boat, and that's how we're going to go into this. <laughs> I am picturing that right now. <laughs> yeah. Not cute. Um, so this case is about Gemma Hader, who was a young woman who was 27 or 28, I believe. And lived in somewhere in the UK. I can't remember where because I didn't do full research. I know um, where. where. Rugby. Town called Rugby. That's yeah. right. Yes. yes. <laughs> I believe she was 27 years Correct. old. Correct. She was 27. She died on August, August, uh, 10th? August 9th or 10th. I think yeah. she was discovered on the 10th. Right. And killed on the, on the 9th. 9th. Yeah, we will get to it. Yeah. It's kind of that gray area of it happened in, in the dark of night. Spoiler yeah. alert, mm-hmm. she lost her life. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's no fun way to go there. Nope. Um, so I'm going to talk, I'm, my part of the show is I'm going to talk about a little bit about her disabilities, a little bit about how they impacted her and what, and what they are, and then we'll go, we'll keep moving along. So she had, as a child, she was found to initially have been diagnosed with autism. Mm-hmm. She was never formally diagnosed with another learning disability. Many of her tests came back negative, but her family always thought there was some other disability that they hadn't discovered yet or they hadn't figured out or diagnosed properly, which for so many disabled people that I talked to on my show, they said, you know, it took me years, 20, sometimes 25 years to be properly diagnosed. Wow. So when I read that, I wasn't at all surprised. Okay. I was because I wasn't aware of that, how common that is. Mm-hmm. yeah it's i hear it probably every second person that i speak to on the show says oh yeah i have this but i also have five other things that are mm-hmm. not right. yet diagnosed so it happens all the time and you know doctors tend not to believe disabled people they tend not to believe racialized disabled people they tend not to listen to you if you have because i have cerebral palsy and mm-hmm so many things that I have that I don't believe are related to my cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. The doctors will say, oh yeah, it's just CP, deal with it, best of luck to you. Oh, and I'm like, but great, could you look at this though? What about right. this? And they're yeah. like, oh no, it's just that, deal with it, bye. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it goes, it goes on all the time where the doctors just don't want to diagnose because they think that one diagnosis is enough. So why mm-hmm. should I look for more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she had stuff that... And, you know, looking at some of her photos, when I looked at some of the photos of her, I could, I, as a disabled person, and again, I'm not a doctor and I'm not diagnosing her, but I'm, I could tell there was something going on there. I thought initially that she might have had Down syndrome. 
she looked like she might have presented that way. Um, and I was like, they should have just done more testing. And I really mm-hmm. wish that they mm-hmm. had, because had they, maybe she could have gotten more support. Yep. And it wasn't that long ago. No. It was no. only 11 years ago, 10 yeah. 11 years ago. It's not like it was, you know, in the, the in 60s. 80s or the 60s and we didn't understand and we didn't know. It's like literally just a matter of effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, effort, yeah. communication. She, political will. She mm-hmm. was born in the you know, mid eighties. Right. So it, it wasn't yeah. like her, these, these failed diagnoses were a few years ago, but right. still, it's, but it's, she was a young woman mm-hmm. in the 2010s. Yeah. yeah. And we'll get to it a little bit later, but at some point it seems like they just kind of gave up on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the, in the documentary that I, that I watched where I found this story, it seemed like almost within the first five minutes, they had given up on her. And I was seriously, like, this, this is like, Oh, okay. All right. So, I mean, and, you know, I found this doc- and I watched it again yesterday, the whole doc. And I was like, this poor woman mm-hmm. was never given any support. Her family fought for her and yeah. no one else seemed to care. Um, and so let's go into to she she was evaluated by all I read was she was evaluated by an adult evaluator, which means which who knows what that is. Right. So somebody came in to evaluate her and they determined that she did not have autism. So because she wasn't given a formal diagnosis and it was disputed, she didn't get any support. And I, I feel like if she had been given something with a bigger label, maybe, or, mm-hmm. or different labels, she could have been able to apply for more government support and stuff like that. Um, for a long time, she didn't fit any criteria of what they said she had. They said it could be autism and it could be like five other things. And her family said in the documentary what we watched, uh, that 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 you know this could have totally impacted the support and they f- kept fighting for her to have support so because the only thing that they potentially touch on her having was maybe some autism the disability that I want to focus on today and to talk about was the autism spectrum disorder and we know that the autism spectrum disorder ASD is a big umbrella of things that are just kind of lumped in there because it seems so much easier for the medical community to just lump stuff in there rather than doing the research and learning. But ASD, according to Wikipedia, is a complex developmental condition that involves persistent changes in social interaction, speech, and nonverbal communication and restricted or repetitive behaviors. And as we know, with any disability, the effects of ASD and the severity of symptoms are different within each person. I think um, it'll become really apparent just how big of a factor the social interaction piece mm-hmm. is yes. in this case. Yes. And kind of the misunderstanding of social interactions and cues and, you know, taking people's word for things versus like understanding maybe their body language or their, yeah. you know, the subtext of what's going on. Um, is a really, really huge factor in this. Yes. yes. And her autism spectrum disorder definitely left her more vulnerable to manipulation. Yeah. Which is a huge factor in this case as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the people that I've talked to who have autism and are on the spectrum for the show for different things have said to me, you know, going to parties is hard. Going yes. to going out to big social events is hard. Going out and doing one-on-one social events is really taxing because 
I have to spend my whole time discerning what they're saying and figuring right. out what the cues yeah. are. And I, my brain can't do that. So I can only imagine for her, for Gemma, how, how, whether she realized it or not, how frustrating that must have been to try to navigate that. And she mm-hmm. just wanted, she, as well as I'll get to in a second, she just wanted friends. She wanted yeah. connection. And I think yeah. so often folks who, like us, who do not have an understanding of autism spectrum disorder and all of the nuances that go with that lump in individuals who are on the spectrum as just like being socially awkward yeah, and mm-hmm. not really taking into account how vulnerable that can make you not because you're uncomfortable with social situations but speaking to exactly what you just said Andrew where it's like it's actually exhausting and harder because it's not just about discomfort around groups of people or crowds it's about a breakdown in the processing of like Kenyon was saying social Mm -hmm. cues nuances things that seem so typical for us Um, right and so yeah. much of communication is nonverbal. Right. Or what's being said is actually the opposite of mm-hmm. what of you're doing. What is meant. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, like yeah. es- I think especially in like the UK, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like you could nuance. say Yes, there's a ton of inference in right. what is being said. Yeah. Right. It's like sarcasm about. culture for sure. Dry yeah. humor. The exact opposite is meant. And that mm-hmm. would just be a minefield yep. for somebody and, on the autism spectrum. And for people who like, who don't, ha- who, who aren't affected by the autism spectrum disorder or mm-hmm. have loved ones. And we're not used to thinking in in a way that is easier for people with autism to understand us then we don't want to come off as blunt or rude it can be almost equally as uncomfortable for you know somebody like me to try to communicate effectively with somebody well it's it's basically different languages yeah yeah, it's like it can it can feel uncomfortable as somebody who's done it, like it can feel uncomfortable being a foreigner in a a different country and trying to like speak a different language and deal with different social customs that you weren't inculcated in and don't fully understand. Like you're always, it's exhausting. Right. And to Lucy's point, like we in Western society, I mean, especially binary women are taught like not to be direct and to be polite Mm -hmm. all the time. And And I think- To be coy. Yeah, to be coy. So I think what- Correct me if I'm wrong, Lucy, but kind of what you're getting at is that like we are taught such a specific language in like Western normative culture that then it can almost be like, well, I don't want to be blunt and rude. And it's like, you're not being blunt and rude. You just have to be straightforward and to the point because all of this other shit you're layering on top of every conversation you have. It's not not working. It's not helping them or you. Yeah. 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 It'd just be easier to kind of be evasive about it. Yeah. And we are so bad at that. Yeah, oh, yeah. and Minnesota society. too. Yes, probably yeah. Canada. Mid- Midwest sensibilities. Yeah, there's yeah. like you. You can never. You never say like leave now. Right. Please leave no, now. I'm say, tired. In Canada, you, you just say sorry, sorry, sorry. Can you yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. It's more like, well, I bet you have a lot to do today. I, I better let you go. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And <laughs> somebody could be like very easily be like, actually, I don't have anything else going on today. Right. And I like hang not- out all day. Right. And like not understand what is actually being said. So, yeah. And so I can imagine for, for her, like, mm-hmm. and when I, again, when I watched the documentary, I just felt for her because, you know, they, not only do they speak about her 
autism spectrum disorder they also talk about how she was lonely how mm-hmm. she wanted friends and so when I looked in when I looked into more of the friendship piece because I thought that was important to highlight that she was seeking friendship all the time and she wanted friendship she wanted social interaction so I found out that people who have ASD tend to have a harder time developing friendships mm-hmm. and the research that I found from the from I'm, I think it was Wikipedia. I can't remember where I got it from, but some some researchy place told me that um, people with autism spectrum disorder tend to have a higher, harder time developing friendships. This might be because they have trouble with starting and keeping conversations going, working out what the other people are thinking and or feeling, which I could totally understand mm-hmm. from a disability standpoint. Absolutely. Not even if you have autism. For me, as a disabled person going into a space with predominantly non-disabled people mm-hmm. is really I get super nervous because yeah. I'm like what if I say the wrong thing and they don't know how to do it? or what if like they can't handle the disability and so I can understand the pressure of wanting to be quote-unquote cool and quote-unquote right. like with these people and not knowing how to interact mm-hmm. and unfortunately like we said that is hard enough with people who mean well and right. who are trying to communicate openly with this person, but like don't necessarily have like the skills or the knowledge to do that. Yeah. But Gemma fell into a group of people who weren't even trying. They nope. were trying to take advantage of her. Correct. Yeah. yeah, they were like from the jump trying yeah. to deceive her to get her mm-hmm. to give. Anyway, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to we'll it. We'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then I also found some research that said that from the new, from the Scientific American that said that a new line of research is forcing is forcing a rethink on the long held beliefs of something because I got the wrong part. But it says <laughs> autistic <laughs> people overwhelmingly report that they want friends, and they have they have shown that they can do can and do form friendships with both neurotypical and autistic peers, even if their interactions sometimes look different from those among neurotypical people. So, I mean, that just shows you that the way that some neurodiverse people with autism form friendships and have a social interaction can look different um, mm-hmm. and isn't what we're used to in our culture necessarily. And it also says that there are challenges autistic people face in creating close relationships, including difficulties in processing, social information and dealing with conflict. So, as we'll get to in a minute, you'll see how all these things co- like, kind of come into a big storm of problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last piece I'm gonna say is that, is that one of the stats I found was that crimes against disabled people have risen by, get ready for this quote, 300% since 2011. Yep. Yeah, I had that in my section too. It's and mine. shocking. <laughs> So we're yeah. all gonna cover that, but yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that was my that's was a little bit about Gemma's disability and what she had, and then yeah. All right. Well, Thank ready you to for be that background. Really, really depressed. I'm so prepped. Okay. <laughs> well, Lucy has uh, some more info for us. Oh, oh right, right. Yeah. Sorry, too sorry. depressed. Sorry. I'm so don't used worry. To, like, You'll still get depressed. <laughs> Okay, so most of this is from a really good BBC article. Um, So as we've given away, uh, Gemma's life was 
taken in a very brutal fashion, which Kenyon will get to. Mm -hmm. Um, But just jumping forward a little bit. So the criminal trial that resulted highlighted numerous failures in Gemma's case. A serious case review was conducted by an independent panel who found a number of opportunities to help Gemma had not been taken. The review identified that there had been 23 missed opportunities from 2001 and the time of Gemma's death and nine opportunities in the year before she died alone. Kathy McAteer, the independent chair of the review, said at the time, quote, while there was no evidence that Gemma's murder could have been prevented or predicted, if she had received and accepted better support, she may have lived a better life and been less likely to fall into the company of people who presented serious risks. I would argue that would have prevented her murder. A yeah. thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. Two million percent agree with that one. Yeah. yeah. I think, like, the murder itself was pretty shocking and out of the blue, but the her being around that group of people was already the issue and the yes. problem, and that could have then been prevented. But the murder itself was, like, what the fuck? <laughs> and her being around that group of people, and I'll talk about this a little bit in my segment, is like a calculated thing, like with a name, like yeah. what they did to her. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so it's this lack of support, which, according to Kathy, might have led to Gemma becoming a victim of so-called mate crimes. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were going to talk about, Amanda? No, something similar, but a different name. Okay. Yeah. When people are abused or bullied or harassed by those they consider to be their friends. Mm-hmm. Quote, it's not unusual in cases like Gemma's where people are living in the community who may have been quite isolated and not necessarily receiving services to become involved in relationships with people who don't have their best interests at heart. Gemma would put up with any level of abuse as long as the person acknowledged that she was a friend. Mm-hmm. And problems related to mate crimes, especially against vulnerable people, vulnerable people like Gemma are only getting worse. So quoting that stat that Andrew covered, the 300% increase between 2001 and 2018, um, this large increase may be due to the improvements made by the police into their identification and recording of hate crime offenses, and also more people coming forward to report these crimes rather than a genuine increase that said, whatever it is it's still happening at a still rampant really right. large so, scale it's right. like an endemic so, so it right. might just be better reporting and not an actual increase but either way there's like, too much of it exactly. yeah either way this study has painted a clear picture of its existence and the the level like how many of these crimes are happening is very shocking but i also I would- wonder if social media has a role to play in this just because of the timing mm-hmm. because it might just because like think about how many people how many friends mates whatever you hang out with and interact with on like a weekly or monthly basis in person Mm -hmm. COVID aside versus like how many people you have in your social media orbit right yeah and how that could kind of just exponentially yeah I mean the number of people that you think are social media just increases our access to each other and therefore you know does open us up to more vulnerability right for being taken advantage of for anyone right I mean the same technology that gives us phishing schemes and right malware and all that shit it's just as easily exploited by individuals who want to take advantage of vulnerable people online and in person 
I mean, I wish we would just say, like the, the researcher said, make crimes. Right. I wish we would just call it what it is, which is ableism crimes. Like it's, right. It's, yeah. It's, it's a hate crime, what happened to her. And we need, yeah. if they use yeah. that language, like stuff would be done a lot faster. And yeah. like if we, and I feel like when we talk about, like, like we did on the last time we got together, nobody said the word ableism in a lot of the cases that we, we covered. They mm-hmm. said, oh, yeah, this thing happened to this disabled person and it's really sad. But none of the investigators said the word ableism. And it's like, wow, it shows that the the police systems and the systems that are supposed to protect us, big giant quote, yep. um, don't need to need to be learn this. Right. Yeah. 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 The make crimes thing is just a subset of ableism crimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. like one type of ableism crime. Kind of, like yep. it struck me as like a crossover between ableism and and bullying because uh-huh. that kind of the mm-hmm. it can happen whether or not the person has a disability, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of a weird intersection there. Yeah, I do feel like mate crimes, quote unquote, is like too. If this is what they mean by it, then they're not actually naming it for what it is because that feels more like bullying is the way we know it when your yeah. friends people who are supposed to be your friends are actually taking advantage of you or treating you, right. you like shit but they used it so much in reference to this particular case when in this particular case and i'll get to this a little bit but what was happening here is not just bullying is not just quote unquote mate crimes like this was very intentional to, oh, to yeah. target her she yeah. was groomed mm-hmm. basically and then uh disposed of Right. And that is a hate crime. That is an ableism crime. And this went on for a long time before her death. And it's just, yeah, I agree with you, Andrew, that it's like, they're not naming it and therefore not acknowledging what this truly is and how horrible it is. If they put that, if they put the word ableism in the papers and in this story in big, bold letters, we'll pay attention. But I mean, that goes back to how we don't talk about ableism generally, which is why I do all the stuff that I do and Mm -hmm, and name it all the time, because people don't know what it is. And so the fact that the police don't know what it is would rather call it a make crime. Right. Kind right. of diminishes what actually happened. And, that and just... I, I think people also just have such like a limited view of what a hate crime is. Mm-hmm. So they think it's just like a stranger seeing someone who is different from them and whatever the yeah. category is. And then Nooses just like, and, yeah, and then and stuff. just like out of yeah. nowhere attacking them. But it doesn't take into account just like all the different nuances and types mm-hmm. of hate crimes that can exist. Yeah. Um, Amanda, was the term you were going to share cuckooing? Yes. Cuckooing? Okay, then I'll skip that next part. Okay. Um, so the verdict of that review set up by the Warwickshire Co- County Council, UK is wild, y'all. Mm-hmm mirrors that of recent investigations into the deaths of vulnerable vulnerable people who endured crimes motivated by their disability. So for example, in 2009, an inquest severely criticized police and social services for failing to properly investigate the circumstances of Fiona Pilkington, who killed herself and her severely disabled daughter, Fran- I think it's pronounced Francesca, in a burning car after the family suffered years of abuse from local youths. So the the authorities evidently were just like, well, murder, suicide, case closed. Mm-hmm. They were not taking into account, like we were just talking about the full context, layered context of what had been happening and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
<clears throat> so the systemic failures that Gemma experienced began from when she was very young. Mm -hmm. Her family recognized that she wasn't developing the same way as other children her age and sought to get help beginning with a diagnosis, which we covered with Andrew. Shh, you'd think that it wouldn't be that hard, but it's, it's very it's difficult. It takes forever. Yeah. 25 to 30 years, sometimes longer. God. Sometimes never. Yeah. Most so, times never. Yeah. So Gemma underwent a multitude of tests, but none came back with any conclusive results. Her family began to feel ignored by educational, medical, and care services. Her sister, Nikki, says, one of the most maddening parts of my time with Gemma was the fact that we knew she couldn't do anything that the other kids could do, and yet nobody took her out of regular school and put her somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I don't know how she kept slipping through the net because she was obviously, quite obviously, struggling. Mm -hmm. Gemma's mother, Sue Prince, claims that she kept, quote, humiliating herself by continually going back to the authorities, but they wouldn't listen. Mm -hmm. The family felt that they were being branded as attention seekers and were being increasingly ignored just because yeah. they kept going back for help. It's like she keeps going back for help and all of these systems that are allegedly supposed to offer support are just getting annoyed with her yeah. And, yeah. and like telling her to go away. And then yeah. the and more she fought- asked yeah. for support and advocated for herself. Right. She was an adult and didn't get it yeah it's so, like you're, you're taught that the squeaky wheel gets the grease but then you try to sometimes it just gets punished right yeah. and yeah. that's what they did they were just like we're sick of hearing your sob story just and move on I, deal I with it i just don't understand how like like okay weird example but you can tell what kind of show we have but if you're doing an <laughs> autopsy mm -hmm. and you can't determine the cause of death you can still just say like something, right? But we We're don't not know sure. exactly what, right? Yeah, like still suspicious. Yeah, because it's like weird, weird and gaslighty the way I yeah. feel like they brush this <clears throat> off, and it's and and we're like, there's nothing we can't identify anything. So like, well, we can't. This isn't it real. doesn't fit a perfect label, right? So nothing. Instead right. of like, okay, clearly something is going on. Clearly there's a need here. Maybe we don't have the exact language to define it, but like, we let's, let's work to together and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we just solved everything. Guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so finally, when Gemma was 14, she was given a place in a special needs school, but this of course only saw, solved part of the problem because there was still no diagnosis and therefore no solid support plan. Mm -hmm. Between the ages of 13 and 19, Gemma had 29 contacts with learning disability services. Their tests indicated that Gemma did not have a quote unquote significant learning disability. Mm -hmm. In the last 10 years of Gem Gemma's life, her situation was looked at 168 times Good by God. multiple agencies. Wow. That is 168 times when somebody could have stepped in to help and did not. Wow. As she reached adulthood, no one was able to give her the lasting support she needed. Uh, her sister, Nikki, says, as a family, we've asked for help ever since Gemma was little from social services or teachers or the hospital or the doctor or whoever. For a long time, she didn't fit any criteria. So the answer was just, she's not this, or mm -hmm. she might be this, or she might not be on this spectrum or that spectrum. But then somebody else would come along and say, no, she doesn't tick that box. So she can't be that. Mm -hmm. um, I think if she'd been living, sorry, I think if she had assisted living, 
They could have possibly escorted her wherever she wanted to go and assisted her in daily life. And as mm -hmm. a family, we would have known more about what she was doing and who she was spending her time with. And I certainly don't think she would have been out and about at that time of night when she died. Right. We wanted her to be independent, but we wanted someone there to help her. And if she'd had gotten that support at 25, she wouldn't have died. And like Kenyon said, Gemma herself asked for help before she died. Two years before her death, Gemma wrote a letter. Sorry, my cat scrolled my page. <laughs> Gemma wrote a letter to authorities asking for assistance in getting a job with personal hygiene and looking after herself. Quote, I would like a job. I need my independence. I would like someone to help me when I ask for it. This is what I need and want in my life. And how she could have been any more clear and direct than that, I have no idea. And still there was nothing. Mm -hmm. So authorities, uh, isn't that heartbreaking? You know, as yeah. someone who lives in, I live in supported housing in Toronto, which, which means that I have staff coming in every day to help me. And I have managers who manage the staff every day. When I have a problem, you know, you can, it doesn't surprise me at all because I've had to send, it's better now, mm -hmm. but I've had to send so many emails and have so many meetings and scream and yell and cry and, and really make my, put my foot down because yeah. they're not, they won't listen. And so I fully understand, I don't agree with it, but I understand the failure of the system because oftentimes I've lived the failure of the system mm -hmm. and it's just so heartbreaking that. I've written letters like that where I've said, here's what I want in my life. Please help me get there. Right. And they'll go, oh, we can only do two of two or three of these or one of three mm -hmm. of these. Best of right. luck to you, though. No, Ugh. it's what it's what you want. It's what you need. It's what right. you deserve. You're a human being. That's just like. And she's not uh, asking for the world. Mm -hmm. No, she's no. asking for help for mm -hmm. fuck's sake. Yeah. Sorry, she's can asking. I swear? Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> I already have. Okay. Yes. <laughs> She was asking to work. Mm -hmm. She was asking yeah. for help, like keeping her place clean. Yeah. Yeah. Bas very, very basic things. Yep. Uh, so authorities now say there are steps in place to prevent a story like Gemma's from happening again. Um, this is a quote from Warwickshire counselor, Les Caborn. Quote, we are sorry. Nailed it. I don't know how to, whatever. <laughs> UK. Quote, we are sorry. The whole authority is sorry about what happened. Could we have prevented it? I don't think so. But Yeah, we, you fucking could have. Yeah, you fucking could have. <laughs> yeah, but what we are far more certain of now is that arrange, the arrangements we have in place will stop such a thing from happening again. Okay, Caborn. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, and how do you, like, to, okay, have you hired a disabled liaison in the police yeah. station to yeah. make sure to, so that they understand? About somebody checking on these other vulnerable adults? Do you have, even know who's out there? You're you not, been, they're not even acknowledging the gaps that existed in the first place. So how are they thinking that they've closed them moving mm -hmm. on? Mm -hmm. Like I have issues with the police system. Well, of course we all do. Right. But I have huge issues when it comes to disability supports and I've said on previous episodes when I was abused two years ago now and one of the staff that lived here who that, or that worked here who doesn't work here now I went to the police mm -hmm. and their, their response to me was oh he was just trying to help you yeah what what like he was just trying what what would, what would you have him do not help you and I was like no not abuse me yeah so, so it's really disheartening when I hear police say 
we have things in place. Mm-hmm. Well, what have you got in place? Have you worked with the disabled community to find out what those things are? No, you didn't. You're just saying that to mm-hmm. make yourself look big and tall poppyish. And that's well, just not- You know, as I love to say on our show, the cops are useless. <laughs> So thank you for yet another example, completely <laughs> affirming my stance. Canadian cops are useless too. Yes, they are. are yes, all cops. Warwickshire. A-car. Disappointing. Right. Useless starts with a U. A-cow. All cops are useless. A-cow. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so that is sort of a quick rundown of 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 how the system as a whole failed Gemma and her family throughout her life Mm -hmm. great okay um Kenyon before you start Lucy Mm. covered everything that was in my segment except for one paragraph you want to split this we're going to talk about the trial the trial was brief and okay. there's not much about the trial that was in like any we read like a lot of the same articles but the trial okay. was not very eventful it was like they laid out all, everything and they all got heavy sentences which we cover but do you want us are you looking at the same page that i am do you want to start here sure Does that work Does yeah that's fine I don't, yeah i don't have to cover all that much it's not i don't really care but i uh. i deleted as i went Okay. Sorry. That's okay. You should well, have collabor- collabor- <laughs> collaborated more. We should have coborned more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, get your laughs out now because this it's is really dark. It's, it's really, so really dark and really heartbreaking. So yeah. in 2008, so we're going back to uh, a, a couple years before the murder. Mm-hmm. In 2008, at the age of 25, Gemma moved into her own apartment in Rugby, Warwickshire, England, mm-hmm. yeah. which is about 98 miles south of Peniston. I don't know. I know you use kilometers in Canada, so I don't know what that is in kilometers. Like double? We did not we do. do the conversion. Like two, like, 100, I, like 100. Like a two hundo kilometer? Sure. Which? Yeah, 120. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. We'll say that. Nailed it. So this was her first place on her own, and she was thrilled to make friends with some of her young neighbors also in the apartment complex. But like we said, Mm -hmm. she just thought that they were her friends, and actually they were horrible monsters. So in reality, these individuals were taking advantage of Gemma from day one. Um, So the abuse in this case started long before the actual crimes took place. Uh, These individuals were Daniel Newstead, 20 years old, Chantel Franklin Booth, 22, Jessica Linus and Duncan Edwards, who are both 19, and Joe Boyer, 18. So a lot of Duncan, there I said it. Yeah. Yeah. Duncan. (laughs) Chantel. Um, But so a lot of uh, commentary about this case will like refer to them as kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they weren't youths. kids. They were, but adults. they weren't. They were. I mean, a couple of them were teenagers, but the two main perpetrators were in their twenties. Right. Like yeah. they were just a couple years younger than Gemma. Their frontal lobes weren't like 
fully formed, but formed enough to know that this was they understood not that okay. This is not, yeah, this is not. Yeah, they were able to, to drink and drive yep. and vote and serve Go in the military war. and like mm-hmm. whatever. Like they're mm-hmm. that's that's our. You're an adult in the eyes of the law. And even if they had learning disabilities or intellectual disabilities, that doesn't absolve them of murder. Murder is still wrong, period, the end. Yeah. So Danielle and Chantel, so Daniel, or Daniel, Daniel and Chantel, uh, so the 20-year-old and the 22-year-old, had befriended Gemma first while living in the complex, and then soon after they incorporated their other friends into the fold. Mm -hmm. Fold in the cheese. (laughs) Fold it in, David. I don't know how to make it any clearer. I was hoping somebody would go fold there. Fold it in. <laughs> Just fold it in, David. <laughs> you bad. fold in the cheese one more time. <laughs> I need the folded in t-shirt. They make I know. It, they look so good. <laughs> so without knowing Gemma's exact diagnosis, because she fucking didn't have one and no one mm. knew her exact diagnosis, these so-called friends quickly understood that Gemma was vulnerable and highly suggestible, mm-hmm. and they decided to use this to their advantage. Over the course of the next two years, these asshats would regularly steal money from Gemma, which was already in short supply because she was like on and off very limited government assistance, mm-hmm. which as far as I know was like her one or main source of income let me tell you i know that game Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. live on 1200 a month before my rent and after my rent it's about 700 bucks Mm -hmm. and that's not i mean the thank goodness for this show you can support us at patreon.com disability after dark (laughs) um Mm -hmm. but you know i it's not a lot to live on and so no so the fact that that's the only money she had and she was giving it to these asshats. Yeah. Yep. Not even, they were stealing it from her. Yeah. 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 yeah probably a combination of both. Right. And even if she noticed that they had stolen it, they probably were able to just be like, oh, I borrowed it. Or what are you talking about? And just like gaslight her. Mm-hmm. Um, or she wouldn't report them because she thought they were her friends. Mm-hmm. I also read that she was like, buying and also stealing things for them oh we'll get, oh, to, we'll it. get to it okay. so the rest of the sentence they this this part is like especially egregious they would store drugs in her apartment mm-hmm. um and not just not not just but like not like marijuana and stuff but like hardcore shit like heroin mm-hmm. and cocaine and they would also take her to stores in order to shoplift items for them they would literally yep. like bring her there and then be like take this take that and then think that the shopkeepers wouldn't um you know uh, suspect her one mm-hmm. and then two even if she got caught like they, they wouldn't do anything because she's disabled or exactly they yeah so if they're doing that to her they may i mean in in essence they were stealing all of yeah they were oh yeah full fucking full advantage, advantage. there was no element of actual friendship not even a little bit they were just using her mm-hmm. so Gemma didn't seem to understand that she's being taken advantage of and she welcomed the camaraderie because it's her first time living out on her own they're like mm-hmm. roughly her age they're a group of people and like probably seemed cool and whatever 
And so when another neighbor uh, asked about the drugs that Gemma was storing for her so-called pal. So this neighbor, I think, was like wise to the whole situation. Mm -hmm. Gemma responded, no, they're presents. I'm looking after them about the drugs. Which is just so innocent and like just the way that she says that is like clearly like like they're so yeah she's so suggestible that all someone had to say was hey can I store these presents at your house I don't want you know they're a surprise for so and so and I don't want them to be found and we're friends friends let friends do stuff like that exactly Uh and I mean not in the same not in the same vein at all and not in the same like I have been taken advantage of by non-disabled people that told me they're my friends. Uh, mm-hmm. The example that I'll use is, you know, I was seeing a sex worker, my very first sex worker years and years ago. And he told me that, oh, we're going to be friends. We're going to like have sex and you won't have to pay me. Mm. Uh-oh. So I would pay for my sessions in advance because I mm-hmm. trusted him. And the dude ran off with like, I want to say five grand. And never, uh, and just never repaid me. And oh I, I, all God. because I was like, well, I believe you. And you know, and I and you're telling me that we're gonna be friends and that you are my friend and I want friends. Ooh, and I that's want so much money. So would never do that now. But when yeah. I was a young baby gay, baby queer person <laughs> learning to navigate sex work, yeah. yeah, totally let somebody take advantage of me like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so on August 9th, 2010, a concerned neighbor, I think the same neighbor, saw Gemma hanging out by the garages of their apartment building with Daniel and Chantel. This neighbor, an older individual named Fran Cuts, as in Cuts the shit. I love <laughs> Best name ever. Fran Cuts. She Fran like a, Cuts. A 1980s like news lady. <laughs> Fran Cuts. Seriously. Six. <laughs> we cuts deep. <laughs> Deep cuts with Fran. Deep cuts with Deep Fran. Cuts with Fran. <laughs> She's a radio DJ. Mm-hmm. Um, so she saw Gemma hanging around the garages of the apartment building and she asked what she was up to, like what's going on. She knew it was probably not something good. Gemma responded that she was getting ready to go to Coventry with Daniel and Chantel. Fran asked about the reason for the trip and quickly deduced that Gemma was being used to shoplift for Daniel and Chantel. Fran would later say in an interview, quote, she couldn't seem to comprehend that stealing was wrong because she was doing it for her friends. Mm -hmm. She was so innocent in her outlook on people. She really could not judge a bad person if you put them in front of her. Heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. Because all you want is friends. I totally get that. The the isolation that, that... Well, all of us are feeling right now because of the pandemic, but especially disabled people who have never been socialized properly and have never been given the chance to engage with quote unquote non-disabled people. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even non-disabled people, even non-disabled people get taken advantage of by people they think are their friends. Yeah. Because everybody wants to have friends. Everybody wants to be liked. It's hard to make friends. It's really hard. (laughs) So later that evening, the group decided to wind down the day at a local pub, and then they met up with some of their other mates there. One of these folks was only 16 years old, and Gemma, not understanding like that there would be consequences for underage drinking, mm-hmm. joked about this fact loudly and within earshot of the bouncer, and then that led to the whole group getting kicked out of the bar. 
Yep. So this enraged Chantel, who shoved Gemma into the street after they left the bar, like because she was like so pissed that Gemma got them kicked out when really they got themselves kicked out because yeah. they brought in a 16 year old to drink underage. And also, what is a fucking 22 year old doing hanging out with a 16 year old, probably taking advantage of them as well? Right. <laughs> So things seem to settle down a bit as the group returned to the apartment complex. That is until the next day, August 10th, 2010, uh, when Gemma had to go get something of hers from Chantel's apartment. Supposedly, it's also possible that Chantel lured her to her apartment to commit this crime. Yeah, that's what I thought when I was reading it. I was like, she was totally lured there by, yeah, friend, yeah, by friendship. Yeah. So there she was met by the group seeking quote revenge for Gemma's gaffe at the pub the day before Jesus Christ so let's try to get through this part as quickly as possible because it is honestly some of the most brutal and horrific violence imaginable and we have mm-hmm. covered some dark shit on it's, our show it made me like I felt gross after reading it I was like what yeah. is mm-hmm. how, it's 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 really bad. So the group, all of whom had pretended to be friends with Gemma for the past two years, then seemingly out of the blue, proceeded to violently attack her. They would go on to torture her in Chantel's apartment for hours. She suffered blunt force trauma when they hit her head against the radiator sending blood spatter all the way up the wall and to the ceiling. So like definitely some force of that impact. Mm-hmm. Her nose was broken and her face and head were uh, wrapped all around with tape. The boys in the group urinated into an empty beer can and forced her to drink it. Sorry, I'm like losing it's it. so bad. It just, I can't. <sighs> um. Some reports said that she was also hit repeatedly with a mop handle. Um, Then they took the disoriented and seriously injured Gemma outside. All the while, they said that they were walking her home, probably to like calm her down and get her compliance so that she would continue walking with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But instead, they took her down to nearby train tracks and put a plastic bag over her head and stabbed her and her more and also stripped her of her clothing mm-hmm. and left her face down on the tracks and her body was found there the next day by a passing jogger and I am going to burst into tears if I say mm-hmm. one more word so I need to stop mm-hmm. wow oh, that's I mean I read it too I knew it was coming and I was still like oh, okay this it just feels it makes me upset because as a non-disabled as a as a disabled person Oftentimes, when I'm in a new situation, I look to my non-disabled peers for, oh, you're going to help me get home? You're going to help me navigate this? And I, I am shit with directions. So I can't imagine the terror she must have felt oh. wanting to go home with it, wanting to get home. Uh, first of all, did she even understand that they had, they had, you know, beaten her to a pulp? <laughs> It's so She's probably confused and sh- super confused mm-hmm. and shocked and in shock, like in physical shock. Yeah. It's I, so just, it's so disheartening. One of the articles I read 
<clears throat> was her her sister I think her sister or her mom were giving a quote about that moment when they were walking her allegedly back to her apartment and she just she said something along the lines of I'm sure Gemma went with them because she tr she trusted them and because she said she was probably just thinking in her mind I just need to get around the corner I just need to get around right around the corner I live there I'll be safe I just need to get around the corner mm -hmm. yeah. <sighs> that it just like why <sighs> like just put yourself in her shoes for a second like imagine if the people that you had been in your mind close friends with for two years uh -huh. were like hey come over and then they just attacked you and tortured you and stabbed you and killed you like and, and made you like de defiled you de yeah like, if they had, if the systems had just paid attention just a little bit closer to, before all this, to what her needs were, she could have been in an assisted living program or some program that could have supported her in a way where yeah. she could still make meaningful friendships and not have been killed by these people. Someone looking mm. out for her, someone saying maybe, hey, I've got better friends over here who are yeah. good people. Come hang out with these people instead. Right. Yeah. Like these, these people are saying they're your friends, but they're not your friends. And, and these people really could become your friends and let's hang out with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my section. Oh, well, thanks for taking, thanks for taking on the hardest one. Mm -hmm. Well, Amanda actually wrote the notes. Thank you, Amanda knowing full well that that's what Kenyon had to cover <laughs> um so one of the murderers in this case Jessica Linus posted to her Facebook like within I'd say a few hours it was like the morning or I guess after the jogger had found Gemma posted to her Facebook trying to throw police off of her scent writing quote, wants to know what happened on Hilly Road. Is it true they found a body? Question mark. Like trying to look innocent, like, ooh, what's yeah. going on? Clueless. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't but, let murderers know from just the world that when you do that, you look more guilty? Yes. Mm -hmm. When you want information about this case, like about yeah. the case. In yeah. Yep. yeah. Like exactly. They, they, they'll show up to the crime scene. They go back mm -hmm. to the crime scene. Mm -hmm. They want to help. They join the search party. I mean, yeah. oh, don't don't we know yeah. from enough Dateline that this is not how you do it? For no. Real. So yeah. this amateur hour red herring was not going to cut it with investigators. <laughs> Soon all five participants were arrested because they were the last to be seen with Gemma. There were like plenty of people who were like, well, yeah, they hung out with her all weekend and they got kicked oh. out of the pub and then they yeah. shoved her and then a lot right. of people saw them together. Right, because mm -hmm. they're adults, but Again, those frontal lobes, not formed. So they're real dumb. Yeah. They're fucking um, dumb teenagers and, and early and 20 year olds. Yeah. Evil assholes. Ugh. So at trial, Gemma's devastated family had to sit in court while the brutality of her death is recounted for the jury. And Gemma's sister, Nikki, recalls, quote, it was one of the worst days of my life. Horrendous, horrendous. I mean, we could barely get through a paragraph of just going over it quickly. So that, yeah. Did you see right? me looking down at myself for about yes. the whole five minutes that that was the yeah. end? I was like, I can't look at anybody. So yeah. just imagine sitting in a courtroom where every detail and photos and she's of your, your daughter, of your yeah. of your sister, your daughter. I I mean, it makes me sick to my stomach. 
Um, Daniel, Chantel, and Joe were sentenced to life in prison. They were found to be the most involved in her murder. Um, Jessica and Duncan, never trust a Duncan, were convicted of manslaughter for their involvement and were sentenced to 13 years and 15 years respectively. So Jessica was sentenced to 13, Duncan to 15. And at the time, all of these sentences were considered lengthy and harsh, but like, no, fuck that. No, they would, they're out by now, basically. Yeah, I mean, a lot. I mean, the three who are in for life, no, but uh, Duncan and Jenny or Jenna, they, if they're not out already, because a lot of, you know, manslaughter also, I don't know how it works in the UK, but in the US, a lot of charges like this, if you, you can get out early for good behavior yeah, or yeah, apply for parole or whatever. So, you know, I also I think sentences surprised. are just shorter in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I think their ages were taken into account. So sure. Jessica and Duncan were the younger ones. Yeah. yeah the but US has a pretty fucking harsh penal system compared to the rest of the world. True. Yeah. But I mean, Daniel Ch- and Chantel and Joe did get life in prison. So, like, yeah. that's legit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but they abused this woman for years leading up to. Right. I read a bunch of of YouTube quotes that said from people who watched the video that said, why wasn't the social services on trial? Why did no one bring them in to be, to have all their records looked at? And I I think that's where the real travesty is for me because Mm -hmm. I live and work in systems like this all the time. And my care could easily change on a dime from somebody who doesn't live my life could say, Oh, you don't get care today. Yeah. So it is appalling to me that these these people that did this are like, oh yeah, we did our job and they went to jail and now yeah, now we wash our hands of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think and that this... doesn't actually help Gemma. Like, no. Yeah, it's justice. Okay, that's something, but it doesn't actually help Gemma, and it doesn't help uh, people like her. Future Gemmas. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. yeah, I think this is just such a glaring example of how systemic issues like ableism, racism, misogyny, you know, victims of assault like you were, Andrew, or women who have been sexually assaulted, you know, individuals who have been the victims of racism, ableism, they come forward and they are seeking justice and justice and restorative justice and and reform so that they can prevent these things from happening to other people. And they're gaslit by the whole all they're the gaslit by the whole system. But then I think we forget that like this shit is deadly. Like ableism yeah. and racism and misogyny are killing people it's every day. People. And they're just seen as a PR problem. Exactly. To be to be dealt with. Right. So like this is these are tangible, deadly issues that if we're not deconstructing that shit and fixing those systems people will continue to die like I and that's wish, exactly why Gemma died yeah that's 100 percent why she died i wish they would have come out and said yeah mm-hmm. we were super ableist by not looking at her diagnosis more right we were super ableist and not giving her proper supports it fucking sucks what we did and we let's were, fix it let's fix it and let's the and I, I say on my show all the time and on my social media every fucking day i say the same thing which is deconstruct your ableism and don't mm-hmm. put it under the don't put it under the rug and say oh we didn't know well, that's fine, but teach yourself yeah. or mm-hmm. ask to be taught and then do your best mm-hmm. every day to realize that like every single one of you, the three the three of you lovely ladies are going to be disabled at some point if you're not already. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think 
that the more and more we look at the fact that we're all going to be disabled, we're all going to be wheelchair users or mobility users one day mm-hmm. and have different needs. We should, t- we need to start looking at that now and what that means now. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this case was a horrific example of a growing problem in the UK and beyond. So like we've said multiple times, a 2018 statistical bulletin reported that in the UK, hate crimes against individuals with disabilities had increased 300% between 2011 and 2018, with a particular increase in those quote-unquote mate crimes. And something else that I want to talk about, which is a tactic called cuckooing. So this is from Wikipedia, quote, uh, from the cuckoo's practice of taking over other birds' nests for its young. In this context, the term was mentioned in 1992 by Michael E. Berger, who subsequently <laughs> overlooked and then regained wider, uh, the, 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 the term was subsequently overlooked and then regained wider use from 2010 and forward. So in cuckooing, drug dealers and gangs in particular will target vulnerable adults and use their homes as like stash houses and bases of operation. Mm-hmm. So it's not uncommon Um, for gangs to recruit children who are also vulnerable and can avoid the eye of authorities, but vulnerable adults with their own homes are an increasingly valuable resource because they are also less likely to either be suspected of these crimes, like Mm -hmm. in Gemma's case, if they are disabled, or what what else we'll get to if they are afraid to report Mm -hmm. that these crimes are happening. Yeah. So usable space for these syndicates to like operate out of is super valuable. So as of about 2010 and beyond, cuckooing uh, was becoming increasingly an increasingly common problem in the South of England. And it's really scary stuff because some of the research into cuckooing that I did showed that some targeted individuals, like I said, aren't believed that this is happening to them. And instead of being helped as the victims, they are implicated as the perpetrators and evicted, charged, sent to jail, etc. So targets of these crimes are not just in the like vulnerable communities of disabled folks, but also folks who are financially vulnerable. A lot of people who rely on state support or live in like state housing, subsidized housing, um, get support for groceries, medical care, other state level support because the risk of losing this support, they don't feel like they can report. They don't want to be, you know, yeah. not believed and then lose everything and lose their housing. Yeah, and then, then if they go to jail, like you're a felon, you can never get that state support it's again so similar, in a lot of cases. It's so similar to sex work in places mm-hmm. where sex work is criminalized yeah. that if yeah. an assault happens, they're afraid to report. Well, and when you think about it, like think of, you know, how classism and racism can come into play here too, where if, you know, someone who's living in subsidized housing becomes a target of this cuckooing and then their house gets destroyed, drug deals are happening from their home when they live in low-income housing, especially Mm -hmm. if they're a person of color. And then it's like the cops come and really they're going to believe you that, oh, this, this is all happening in my house, but it's not me. Right. Like it's kind of the perfect crime. The heroin isn't mine. But right. Like it really isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like who's going to, what fucking cop is going to believe you? Yeah. You know? So it's like really terrifying. And I hadn't heard that term before, but like, this is a, a thing. And clearly Gemma was a victim of this. Yeah. And had the authorities recognized Gemma's condition and listened to her family and to her 
as they repeatedly tried to advocate for Gemma and she tried to advocate for herself, this could have been avoided because like you said, if she had had the support that she asked for, which probably would have included some, you know, some form of assisted living or, you know, group home care where there are individuals who are trained on staff on premises who can make, you know, make, at least help make sure she's safe, you know? Well, yeah, if you're, if five people coming and going from your apartment in some sort of like assisted living is probably going to be noticed. Yeah, they they wouldn't they wouldn't have targeted her if she probably not if somebody had been looking out for her. Yeah, and like, wouldn't have been able to cuckoo her if she and lived yeah, in an Chantel was living. her neighbor. Yeah. yeah, so that's how I mean it's just it's just so sad. So, um, like Lucy said, the BBC said that between the ages of thirteen and nineteen, Gemma had twenty nine contacts with learning disability services. And their tests continue to end. I want to know what the fuck they were doing in those right? 29. What were you, what are those 29 sessions about if you didn't come up with anything? Yeah. Well, and also, what is not having a quote unquote significant learning disability? What does that mean then? Like, I want to know what they, what any of that meant. Yeah. Yeah. What do you deem as? And this is why I think. What uh, metrics are you using? Yeah. And what's your fucking threshold for right. significance as far as like getting someone help who has asked you repeatedly for help? Well, and if she was interviewed and, and interacted with that many times and people who are getting or are, are in Gemma's family or obviously these individuals who intentionally took advantage of Gemma and got close to her. If this group of teenagers to young 20 somethings could figure out real fast that Gemma was a vulnerable adult who was yeah. extremely suggestible and immediately start taking advantage of that, then how on God's green earth could you miss 29 it? meetings with professionals, quote unquote. And the file was looked at 168 that. times, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. yeah. It makes no sense. So I really do. 168 contacts with eight, with multiple, multiple agencies. Yeah. I really do think that the, the need to give some kind of hard and fast diagnosis when so many diagnoses a have comorbidities and so you'll frankly most people who experience some kind of disability even if it's something like diabetes say there are so many comorbidities that go with diabetes like heart disease and neuropathy and like all of these other things broken toes right so (laughs) You know, even even something that seems as black and white as you have type one diabetes actually has a million branches to it that can or cannot be related, but can all appear to be related, like you were saying, Andrew. So, like naming the condition while important is not the only area of focus. No, you know, it and it clearly focusing on that only, and then not the wider the bigger picture of how do we support this individual, whether or not we have a specific name for their diagnosis is clearly a deadly approach. It shows, that's what happened here. It shows you that social supports for disabled people around the world are, are afterthoughts. They're mm-hmm. not baked into the system. They are, they are flimsily attached on after the fact. Right. And then the state goes, oh, we don't know how to support that. So yeah. And the yeah. government continues to brush off culpability and accountability. So they claim that, like Lucy said earlier, they couldn't have prevented this from happening to Gemma, which is bullshit. And the review that they conducted, quote, concluded that it was clear Miss Hayter was believed to be at risk, 
and found there were chances to initiate safeguarding procedures, assessments, or other interventions, and for agencies to share information. So like basically what the government was saying is like, yeah, all these agencies like saw something, but then they didn't communicate with each other. So they couldn't figure out what was going on, which is such a slap in the face to like Gemma's family who tried so many times to get her proper help yeah. and care and just kept getting turned away. It's like you're saying it's a little bit everyone's fault. So it's right. no one's fault. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the report continued to say, quote, no single agency had a full picture of what was happening in Gemma's life. There were a number of missed opportunities for initiating safeguarding procedures, assessments, or other interventions, and for agencies to share information. So they, like Lucy said, they chalk it up to agencies not communicating with each other. And like, if we place the blame on everybody, then nobody's really to blame. So they pledged these multiple improvements to keep this from happening again, quote, including a review and restructuring of adult social care, learning disability services, and issuing new social care guidance for responding to vulnerable adults who might not have had a learning disability formally diagnosed. The adult social care learning disability team has also incorporated autism workers. I'm not sure what that means. I would hope that these are disability uh, professionals, like folks who are like the disabled. liaisons consultation and liaisons yes mm, i i don't i kind of like doubt it yeah i feel like it's people who are working within the autism structures who are not autistic sure um, and that like that makes no sense to me like i understand having some individuals who just work within that field but if we're not working directly with individuals who are on the autism spectrum then are you really working with quote autism workers like who can better represent their and who needs. came up with the term autism words? Right? That's, That's a quote. I don't That's understand what that weird. is. Really weird. <laughs> so they've incorporated autism workers in its team to support people like Miss Hader who have autism but no learning disability diagnosis. So this all sounds well and good, but it's kind of it just feels like more broad strokes, like, yeah, we're we're doing something about it, but not really giving any like concrete details on what that is that are super satisfactory well that's the thing with like policy change Mm -hmm. like uh, it's so complicated and layered and then like it doesn't even matter if you have like the best policies and laws on the books if you don't have any enforcement mechanisms and Mm -hmm. you don't have the resources to properly implement them Mm -hmm. on the scale that is needed and Mm -hmm. so who knows I mean you'd have to really dig in and do a full policy analysis and be like, okay, how are these people trained? What mm-hmm. resources do they have? How many clients or, or policy beneficiaries can you uh, help every year? Like, right. what is the time frame of like scaling that up? Blah, blah, blah. Like, what are the backstops to like help people from falling through the cracks? Mm-hmm. It's a whole thing. You can't just like put out a press release and be like we hired autism workers right whatever the fuck that yeah, means. See ya. <laughs> we did it we fixed yeah, it done we did it we got yeah, those like, keywords in there yeah like, you know see us saying that it would be like that that horrible movie oh music my god i know her, her saying that she couldn't hire an, uh, an autistic person to do to be in the role because it would cost too much money is like are you are you what well, what and movie? she was like, and because like none of them were good singers. It's like then look is harder. Sia, Sia, like wrote and directed or produced whatever a movie about like a singer who's on 
the autism spectrum, but like of course, didn't she cast used, any autistic. She used her best actors. friend Maddie Maddie Ziegler. Yeah. Who who? Oh, uh, the child that she's grooming and being. Weird yeah, with. her muse. She's totally yeah. grooming that child. Yeah. So. I mean, to just go back to people saying just because you've hired one mm-hmm. disabled person or tried to hire one disabled person doesn't mean you've done enough. Well, and yeah. disabled fe- people are not a monolith. Yeah. One more time. You know, it's all to- it's tokenization you. when you do shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Disabled people are not a monolith. They're not. Period. Yeah. But that that applies to like every single change that's needed you know you're not all of a sudden not a racist because you have a black friend like yeah that that same theory or a black spouse or black children exactly it doesn't apply anywhere (laughs) right oh anyway that's the end of my segment (laughs) this was uh, this is a hard one to get through but but Thank you all for sitting out with me today and for doing this. We covered this. a lot. We really yeah. did in an hour and 22 minutes. We covered a bunch. We, we only all about a lot. We only each cried once. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. That's a good day. I mean, the day is long. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> the listen. The days to- are long. <laughs> I don't listen to shows anymore uh, but because I make one. So I'm like, oh, yeah. why, do I, why do I listen to shows? But, but um, I adore you all how is there any last final things you want to say to the people of disability after dark uh we love disability after dark we love you and if you want oh yeah yeah, support support. on patreon support on patreon and support andrew's gofundme to get their new power wheelchair power wheelchair i believe we have shared on our social media Mm -hmm. as well so if you're having any trouble finding it it's out there andrew's tweeted it we've tweeted it it is no excuse our wheelchair van i'm hoping that something comes through because because it's hard to go anywhere right now my poor my poor van that i've had since o2 broke Mm -hmm. and we were like fuck we need a van how are we gonna get we need and we need money like fast yeah get it get that new van baby yes and if you like true crime and uh possibly wine you can check out our podcast wine and crime and uh on social we're at wine and crime pod on like all the things yep all the things but not parlor no <laughs> not that thing oh thank goodness or linkedin no. yeah. <laughs> yeah we're at wine and crime pod on three things i think Facebook, we have a twitter and instagram we I don't think we tick have a, a talk tick a talk we tick have a now. talk tick just talk the handle tick. but we have not posted anything to it so don't bother i i so don't went, bother. I don't went bother. on there and i made a name and i was like this is dumb i'm getting off thank yeah. you andrew gets it good I for, it's good for the toilet i'll be honest <laughs> just quick little snippets <laughs> just scroll right through while you're when on the you toilet. got the constipado you just sit there and hope that things yeah. happen yeah. yeah that's when i do my duolingo <laughs> that's when i write my notes <laughs> so I can't I can't get another app for the toilet or I will not get my notes. You'd be very less <laughs> Just have a folder Amazing. on your phone that says toilet apps. <laughs> so what are your tweeties and or what are your like so what are your social what are your social medias? How can the people follow you and then our personals? Oh, sure. our personals. I'm uh on Twitter, I'm at Kenyon Lang, K-E-N-Y-O-N-L-A-I-N-G. And on Instagram, I am at Kilo178. On Twitter, I'm at LucyFitz46. And on Instagram, I'm LucyFitz87. 
didn't and really streamline that very well. Whatever. Love it. And I am <laughs> at Amanda007 on Instagram and the tweeters. Amazing. Come Amazing. find us. The Wine and Crime Girls, we did it. Thank we you so it. much for having us yeah, on today. This you. was so good. It we was love so you. it was so fun, as dark as it was and as hard as it was to get through. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you <laughs> shining a light on this. And and again, even though I don't listen to podcasts anymore, you're still my favorite my favorite true crime podcast. So yay. Thank you. Yay, Maybe thank we you. can come back in another year and a half. <laughs> yes, please. Sooner than that. I would love it. I would love it. And if you want to do ableism crimes part three on your show, let me know. I'm always yes. here. Oh, Unfortunately, yeah. there are too many Lots to cover to so from. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll definitely have you back amazing thanks we friends. love you love bye. you too love bye. you thanks bye Andrew. bye all right everybody well that's another beautiful episode of disability after dark the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories Thank you so much for sticking around and for listening and being there for every episode of the show. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com and you can book me for talks and see more of what I'm doing. You can also follow me on my Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza underscore. That's where I do a lot of my disability justice and social justice stuff around disability, have a lot of great conversations around disability, and try to make disability accessible to everyone there. So follow me there. If you want to follow the podcast, you can download it on any podcast player, as well as you can go to our Twitter, our Disability After Dark Twitter, DisAftDarkPod on Twitter. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this episode if you want to support the show again you can go to patreon.com slash disability after dark to pledge as little as one dollar a month or five dollars a month also please wherever you listen to your podcasts leave us a five-star review it really helps getting getting the show noticed also, if you want to be on the show, pop me an email at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Let me know your suggestions for show ideas, things you want to hear on the show, stories about disability that you want a light shone on. Thank you so much for listening. I'm, of course, your delectable host, Andrew Gerza. Let's stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll be back soon. Thanks, friends. Bye. Copyright Notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021.